This episode is sponsored by BMW of West Houston. I don't know about you, but one of the things that I definitely did not miss during the pandemic was Houston traffic. Man, I really did not miss my commute. But I will tell you what I did miss. I missed getting behind the wheel of my BMW and driving. I love to drive and I especially love to drive my car. So this is probably the third or fourth BMW that I've had. It's an X3 and I've purchased all of them from BMW of West Houston. And that's not by mistake. This is a fantastic dealership. What I love about it is the fact that I feel like I've got relationships with the people who work there. I walk in, it feels like a family. What do you need, Linda? How can we help? If I can't make it out to take my car for service, they'll come get the car and then they'll bring it back to me when the service is completed. I have to say that I switched from a different brand to BMW several years ago and I'm never going back and I'm especially never going to any other dealership. So, just want to say if you're in the market for a BMW, can't think of a better place to send you than BMW of West Houston. And I'm especially proud and honored that they are a sponsor of this podcast. So BMW of West Houston, welcome to the show. They really empowered us to know that being different is so beautiful. There's no such thing as fitting in. <laughs> There's such thing as being interested in others and being true to who you are and then seeing where all that beauty happens, you know, where the magic happens in that. Oh, so I'll be so lucky to have parents who, who who raise their children to think that way. It would be a totally different world if that were the case. Hey everybody, it's Linda Laurel. Welcome to another episode of Our Voices Matter podcast. I hope you're having a great day. So I've got a question I want to start with today. What do you do when you're feeling stressed? Well, one of the first things I do is light a candle. If you happen to watch this podcast rather than listen to it, you'll notice the candle burning right behind me in every episode. I have candles all over my home. And when I'm feeling really stressed, several times a week, actually, I will just take a nice big bubble bath with lots and lots of candles around because it just helps to release the stress. So why am I talking about candles of all things? Because my guest today is Iante Morrow, and she is the creator of a new company called Candle Discovery Box. Now, Iante has been in the candle making business for quite some time and actually has got some great, great stories regarding some of the folks who have um, who have used her candles and who support what she does. And she's going to get into all of that with us. But what I love about this podcast and talking to her is her connection between candles and story. Because as you know, I'm all about the story. So Iante's got a great story of her own. She is also helping to amplify and elevate the stories of other women who are making candles. She calls them her candle queens. And today, Iante herself is the candle queen. So please enjoy this conversation with Iante Mara. Iante, it is so exciting to have a chance to talk with you. Um, I felt this instant connection when I first heard your voice and heard your story about your candle making and how you're connecting it to women's stories. So welcome to our Voices Matter podcast. 
Thank you so much, Linda. I am so excited for this. I've been really looking forward to it. And like you said, I felt an instant connection to you as well when I first heard your voice. So uh, talk to me a little bit about um, how you got into candle making and what, what was the, the impetus for you? It's interesting. I grew up and I thought, I assumed that everyone grew up like I did, which is that you have a candle in your house burning at all times for every occasion, every single day. We would wake up. My mom always lit candles because it set a certain mood in the home. My mom is not religious, but very spiritual. And that was one of her connections to her spirituality. So she imparted that to the fam whole family. At every single meal, we always had a candle lit. It didn't matter what time of year. There was no such thing as candle season in my house. It was literally all the time. So that was just natural. That was just part of my language growing up of what you have in a home. And so I had then I grew up, I ended up becoming a mother. And then I had a very difficult year. It was um, 2008. I was diagnosed with Graves disease. And all of a sudden, everything that seemed okay started to unravel because in, in addition to that, diagnosis, there were a few other things that were going on with my health. And I also looked in my life and I said, you know, I have two really beautiful young children, a boy and a girl, I was so grateful. And that was another long journey. There was some infertility issues leading up to that. I'm sure all connected to the Gray's disease. But in the end, I had this beautiful family and I looked at it and I said, you know what, this is a physical lump in my throat, this Gray's disease. There's something I'm not speaking up about for myself in my life. There's something that I'm not, I'm not speaking. And I, I asked to get a divorce. And I was a person that believed you get married and it's forever and you work things out and, and you're, you, you find your best and strongest self through working in a relationship. So for me to announce I want a divorce was so huge. But I knew that I had to do something that big because I was denying something very, very true to myself. So when I did that, of course, what did I do? I turned to candles and I was lighting candles all the time, setting intentions for myself to be healthy, to figure out what this next chapter would be for me and to have the strength to do what I know I needed to do. And then I found out that the candles I was lighting were toxic and could potentially be contributing to autoimmune disease. And I was, I just threw my hands up and I that this is not okay. I will not live in a home without candles, but I want candles that are safer on my little children and for this, you know, what I'm dealing with. And so in my research, as I was researching what's safe to burn, I found that there was something called coconut wax that had no petrochemicals, but I then couldn't find any to buy. And that was that moment, you know, we could call it a light bulb moment. That's when the candle light went off for me. And I said, okay, I'm spreading my wings as an entrepreneur at this point. I'm creating my own candle brand. It is going to be eco-friendly. And I'm going to, I want everyone to have candles in their home that they know are safe to burn. And that's how I started the whole journey. So um, I, your first company with the candles was Objects with Purpose, right? Correct. That's the one I just spoke about launching, yes. Okay, okay. And so now you've transitioned Objects with Purpose into Candle Discovery Box. So tell me a little bit about that transition and how it connects to what it is that you're trying to offer the world, really. Yes, this is where I now feel, it's funny, Objects with Purpose, so I really believe that when you're in purpose, it's important to have a purpose and to lead from that place. And then everything falls in and, and it makes sense. So Objects with Purpose obviously was born out of that purpose. But then it was October of 2020. And I suddenly got as the, as the noise around me and all the voices I was hearing, people were really suffering in so many levels. There was so much fear. There was so much confusion. 
And all of a sudden, selling candles from my own line, Objects with Purpose, felt insignificant in a way. It felt like I need to do more. This isn't my purpose anymore. I need to find a way to do more. And I found all these women were coming to me with questions about how did you start a candle business? Because now I'm starting one. And this thing happened. And it was like a movement that just before my very eyes, there was this movement of women in the United States creating candles for the same reasons, many of the same reasons that I had created candles in 2009 for their health and well-being and for them to feel centered and grounded and to have and to transform their homes into a safe place. And they needed help and figure out how do I do this? So I started to be of service and immediately I felt like, okay, this is what I want to do. I'm not interested in selling my candles so much anymore. I want to sell theirs. How can people find out and discover that there are all these women making candles in their homes by hand and each one of them is different and each one of them is connected to a very particular special story that means something to them. So I went, okay, this is it. And this whole download happened of, candle discovery box i just heard it in my head and i went okay every month you discover a different woman candle maker in the united states this is what i want to do so i've been very lit up you know to kind of make it a pun about this idea and sharing other people's light has now become something that i'm extremely excited and passionate about and we just launched three months ago wow wow so of course october 2020 we're in the thick of the pandemic and um the the year that was just so you know Gosh, just so horrific on so many different levels. And at the same time, um, as you said, you know, so many of us being hunkered down at home, looking for new things to do, trying to find a way to manage the stress um, and create some sort of a safe space for ourselves. So, you know, I have to say candles have been a huge part of my life. And the first thing you noticed when, when we logged on was the candle right behind me. I have candles burning in my office all day, every day. I have candles burning in my bedroom. When I take a bath, I have candles. Um, I have candles all over my house. Um, and there is, I don't know what it is about the flickering light that um, creates this ambiance and this, this feeling of, of ease and relax and connection. Um, and, and so when I, when I heard you first talking about candle discovery box and then connecting it to the women's stories. It was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I have to interview this woman because <laughs> we are so closely aligned when it comes to the candle part for sure, but even more important, the story part. Um, so this, this podcast is all about sharing people's stories so that we can um, see a little glimpse of ourselves in others and vice versa. So tell me how the story part touches your soul and, and feeds what you continue to, to do. Well, it's, oh yeah, I love what you do so much. Um, every single box, candle discovery box, it comes with the story of the maker. So it comes on a beautiful card and it tells her story. And because everything is story, all of it. I mean, yes, we love candles. We're connected to candles. And there is something, it crosses all cultures, all religions, the connection to flame and focusing intention or prayer or wishes, even birthday candles. You know, we all have that connection. What makes a woman decide to start a business like that, to take those risks, it's not easy to do something like that. I'm so interested. I want to know. And so I was leaning into these. I was saying like, wow, really, you, you want to start a candle business? 
where did that come from? What was the first time you ever lit a candle? This is so I ask questions and I do this interview. So every woman that is, is represented in Candle Discovery Box has an interview with me. So it's very similar to what you're doing here with me. And one of the questions I ask is, what was the very first time you remember ever being around a candle, noticing a candle in your life? And that starts the story. And then it's, what do candles do for you? What does a candle mean to you? Why? Why a candle? And what is your why of why you would actually go to the trouble of figuring out how to make them? It's not easy. Look, there are some people that might say it might look easy on the outside to pour a candle. There is so much that goes into it. And these women who've gotten to this point where they can actually be part of Candle Discovery Box because they've actually launched a business, they have done so much work to get there. And I want to know what is it that is making it so that you have the energy to do all of this work to create a candle. Why is that? And their stories, I mean, I, I think I've been brought to tears from every single woman because she speaks from her heart and she's telling me things about how, here's one I love. One of the women said, whenever I lit a candle, I didn't feel alone. I just love that. And I so understand what that is. I really do. It's like, and the other thing about candles, and I, I get this is another common theme I hear when I talk to the women about their stories, is that it's a reminder to be in touch with their intuition. There's something about lighting a candle that it, it almost disrupts a thought pattern for a second and puts you back in touch with that intuition. Yeah. Just by looking at that light. I think you do that too. When you were explaining it, that's what I was getting from you also. So interesting. So is there um, a particular story you just shared with us, a, a one particular quote, but is there a, a story that really touched your heart that, um, that is always kind of there in your mind that you could share with us from one of your candle makers? Yeah, and she was the very first, I call them candle queens. We all call ourselves candle queens. It's candle just been queen. a fun, yes. yeah, so it's just that. been a fun. So I'm going to say, yes, the first candle queen from Candle Discovery Box, her name is Naja Raquel. And partly because it was the very first, uh, I was so incredibly moved because she had told me that she had a story to share and that she was very private and she doesn't really, she's never spoken this out loud. And I said, well, I want to, I want to invite you to feel that you're safe to hold back. You don't have to share everything. I want you to feel comfortable and just share what you want. But as soon as she started speaking, she said, you know what? I really want to share all of this because I think it's important. And she shared the story of how when she was nine years old, her, her mother decided that she didn't want the father in their lives. And she stole Naja away at nine years old and they drove a few cities, a few states away mm. in the middle of the night. And they arrived there. What ended up happening is the father found them, took Naja back, and then won her full custody in a court battle. So there she was at nine years old, having had this traumatic experience and, you know, parents that are so at odds. Yeah. And she's home at her father's. And then her father, after winning custody, was never home. She was alone a lot. And she, this is when she said, and it really touched me, the candle made me feel like I was never alone. And she wasn't allowed to have friends over because all of her girlfriend's parents didn't feel it was safe to allow their child to be in a home where there wasn't a mother figure. Yeah. So she was really alone. And her father also was an alcoholic. She says, shares all of this. And, and I found it so 
it was just so brave and beautiful for her to share this. And her point was, and I, and I love this. Then she became a mother herself. She has two young boys and she became a mother herself and decided, I want to make peace with my parents. I want to raise my boys differently. And I want them to understand what it is to have a safe and comfortable and peaceful home. And candles, was, that was the connection for her. And she started making candles because she actually quit her job just before the pandemic. She quit her job. And when she quit, she said, because it wasn't right for her, she said, I want to do something for myself. And she thought, I'm going to go into the lashes and beauty business and do home services with beauty. But I can't stand the thought that I'm not going to be able to afford candles. <laughs> and if I quit my job now, I may not have money to buy these candles because she was always, she candles all the time. Yeah. This was, these were her friends right? So it was, she bought a hundred empty jars at that point when she quit her, the day she quit her job and she learned to pour her own candles. And then she would have one when she would do the beauty treatments. And then it was through that, that friends said, would come in and clients and say, what are you burning? What is that? And she'd say, well, I made it. And there you go. And then it became, so now she has, um, you know, beautiful candles, skin glory on so many different levels is that she was following her intention and her purpose, you know, her, her intention was to create a safe space for her boys that she did not feel growing up. And the only place she could get it was from a candle. That just gives me chills to think about that. And um, wow. So, okay. So I'm going to ask you the question that you ask of your candle queens. When is your first memory of lighting a candle or seeing a candle in your in your space and how did it make you feel one of my i love that you asked me i've never been asked that's so beautiful it's so sweet you're so generous you're such a generous host for asking this um i have so many early memories and one of them that really stands out and i think it's slightly unusual is i went to a preschool it was called waldorf it is a something that's it was started in austria but it's around the united states so some people, some of your listeners might have heard of it, the Waldorf School. And in preschool, our teacher, her name was Miss Kaplan. And at snack every day, she would light a candle. She'd gather the children around. So imagine, we're preschool, you don't light flame, open flames. Like now I think this must sound crazy to people, but this was so memorable to me. She would gather us around and we would light the candle. And then she would say, earth who gives to us this food, sun who makes it ripe and good, Dear son, dear earth, by you we live, our loving thanks to you we give, blessings on this snack. I mean, <laughs> so, oh my God. I know, you I have not said that out loud in here. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, so it was happening at school, and then a couple other little moments that, that flickers that I get too when you ask that question is, um, my mom always has an altar in her home. There's always an altar and it's to, it's not just for people who've passed. She'll have photos of people that she wants to send healing to, that she wants to, that she's thinking about. Um, and, and I remember that when John Lennon was killed, I remember my mom turned all the lights off in the house and had a candlelight visual in our house going and had put pictures of John Lennon there. And that was really powerful for me as a child I don't remember what year he was killed, but I was, I was young, elementary school. And I remember that very powerfully that the candle was so important in that moment. And we weren't going to have any electric light on for at least two days. We didn't have any electric lights on. Mm. 
so those early memories are so can be so powerful and so um, instructive in in how our lives um, end up playing out. You never know when something like that is going to spark <laughs> an intention or a, an idea or or a path that we might take. So tell me, where did you grow up? What was your childhood like? Okay, so I was born in Boston, Massachusetts. My father was completing a PhD at Harvard. So we were, I was born, um, we had, a, my parents had a very tiny little home. I think it's cute because they call, I think it was on Rice Street, if I remember correctly. And so my father was finishing his PhD and, and we had no family in the East Coast. All the family, my parents were um, from originally from California. So they had all the family there, grandparents and extended family. So when I was seven years old, it got to the point where we need to have the children. So I had a younger sister. They need to be around family. So we moved to California and the move to California was highly unconventional. I remember that. Okay. I was seven years old. We had a van. In the van on the drive, we had a goat with us in the van. Goat? Why? <laughs> why? <laughs> this is the thing. Like, I don't remember why. I also remember that there was, you, you know what, a, you know, like a, like a potty seat, like you'd have not like a child's potty seat, but like a potty seat bedpan kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Okay. We had that in the van only it wasn't to use for what the original use was. It was filled with coins. I don't know why, but I'm remembering this. this I've never, ever shared this, but this, this whole drive from the, the East coast to the West coast was so bizarre. It's like one day we have to, you cannot write this stuff. This is just, it was crazy and cool. Anyway, we landed in California. We had family around us finally. And then we ended up in Orange County. My father got a position in a, at a job in Orange County. And I always say we were the freaks of Orange County because we were so different. It was, we were in this place that our name, first of all, my father, comes from he's the first generation born in the United States his father comes from Russia so my my maiden name is Kabakov so I was Iante Kabakov which already is a crazy mouthful you're in Orange County 10 minutes from Disneyland Iante Kabakov was considered highly unusual yeah so it was you know what I love about this is here's the thing growing up and feeling always like I was different and wondering what why was I, I know I seem weird and I learned to embrace that difference because of the kind of parents that I have. They really empowered us to know that being different is so beautiful. That what is, you don't need, there's no such thing as fitting in. <laughs> there's such thing as being interested in others and being true to who you are and then seeing where all that beauty happens, you know, where the magic happens in that. Yeah, so I'll be so lucky to have parents who, who who raise their children to think that way. It would be a totally different world if that were the case. So yes, go ahead. I'm, I'm just so grateful. No, so I'm grateful. So when you ask me, like you know, my upbringing, where I came from, um, I come I come from this bubble, this kind of magic bubble that my parents created, where we had people from all over the world in our lives. My mother was a flamenco dancer. Wow. My really? father. Yeah. I'm and so my father. Yes. And some of the things that I really want to learn how to do someday. Huh. Where's your mom from? Well, so this is another interesting. So my mom was born in Texas. And when she was two years old, her family moved to California. Um, 
her love for flamenco came because she went to, she always felt like she didn't fit in in her life. She ran away from home at 14 years old mm-hmm. and she ended up going to an underground club that had flamenco dancing and she had never seen anything like it. She was 17 at that time and she fell in love with it. She changed her name to Antonia Rojas. I won't mention the name it was before because she doesn't love it, but I will tell you that she became Antonia Rojas. She legally changed it at 18, dyed her hair from blonde to black, and toured all over the world as the lead dancer in the Jose Greco company. That's astounding. (laughs) That's a huge company. I mean, wow, that's incredible. So do do you flamenco dance yourself? Do you know how to do it? Yeah. I do. So I was raised flamenco dancing, tap dancing. My mom had a background in all dance. She had done um, every kind of dance before she discovered flamenco. So I can do it. And I'll tell you, flamenco is also a story. It's all about story. It's storytelling through dance. Yep. Yep. That's the connection to story. So you were talking so much about standing out and being different and how we really you know, you were fortunate again to grow up in a family that embraced difference and understands the beauty in that. Um, but I would imagine that as a as a young girl with the name Iante Kabakov, um, that it was difficult. So one of the questions I always ask our guests is to share with us a time in your life when you felt like the other. And how did that make you feel? What did you learn from it? And how are you using those lessons learned now to show up as who you are? I think, yes, there've been many times I felt like the other, um, I will tell you. And I think the most, the most dramatic one was um, I was in high school. I was a freshman in high school and we had a skinhead group at our school. And because my name is, was Yante Kabakov, he targeted me and decided, and also I was, I'm half Jewish. It's a funny thing to say half Jewish, but I have, <laughs> there are different ways of, of, of uh, claiming Judaism. And I say half only because I'm not a practice. I don't practice Judaism today. So I feel almost like I don't want to claim that, but I definitely, I have half of my family are entirely Jewish relatives and we grew up with those holidays and those traditions and I love them. Um, and so I was targeted. I was one of only three Jewish kids in the school. We all were, and there were swastikas put on our locker. And then this particular skinhead boy was in one of my classes. Again, this is Orange County. This is in the 1980s. And he came up behind me and said, I'm going to blow up your house. He called me a commie and other things. And he said, I'm going to blow up your house. And because I lived walking distance from school, I knew that everyone knew where I lived. And I took it seriously and I was terrified. And it's, it's, it's a weird feeling because it's, it's, I don't think that I've presented on the outside like another, you know, I looked like I could fit in as a typical Orange County girl in California. I really could. I kind of had this way of like, I can go on under the radar, but he called me out as being the other and as being someone that should die and that my whole family should die. And it was, I was so I was just, there were a few things that happened. I was terrified and I, and I believed him. And I also was incredulously angry on such a deep level that someone could actually hate someone else for nothing but their heritage. I just was like, what? Like the, the insanity of that. 
and as a as a I was a child, you know, as a, as a 14, 15, I think I was 15 uh, year old girl. I, what did I do with that? So what I did was I found the toughest kid in school who I knew behind the scenes because our families were friends. He was the toughest kid. Everyone was scared of him. I remember he had a scar across his chest from a bottle fight he'd been in with broken bottles and he had piercings everywhere. He put safety pins all down his arms and I went to him. I didn't go to the authorities. I didn't go to the, and I don't know that I don't, this is just, I'm just telling you what happened. I went to him and I said, I said, Eddie, this is what this guy said to me. And he said, Oh, who is this guy? Let me point him out. And I did. And he said, I'll take care of it. And I went home and I, again, like I said, I believe that one kid and scared. I also believed Eddie. And for some reason I felt safer just telling him, I don't remember if I told my parents even, Mm. And I want to unpack that at some point. As if you had told your parents, I was wondering that. And you're not, you don't remember if you did. I have a feeling that there was somehow a little bit of shame around this, which is so weird. But I'm just, I'm, I'm being and really would, honest with you right now. Be ashamed to tell your parents that this had happened, that this person had made this threat against you and your family. You felt shame in that moment, do you think? Yeah. I think that as that, that child did now, of course, no, but I'm trying to get back into who I was then. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to cast light on this. It was so gross to me. I just didn't want to, I wanted it to go away. I didn't want it to even be a thing. Mm -hmm. And in telling by giving voice to it, that would have made it a thing by giving voice to it in your family unit, as opposed to giving voice to voice to it with Eddie who, who you felt could help you do something about it. Yes. Yeah. And you can probably tell because I'm smiling right now. He did something about it. So <laughs> what ended up happening is I went to school the next day. I almost didn't go to school. And I remember having a stomach ache and physical issues. I remember thinking I can't be here. And then I went to school and then I was so scared to go to that class. And I, I held back and I didn't want to go in. And I finally did. And there he was. And this kid was, the skinhead was standing there. And he was holding the door open for me and waiting for me. And I thought, oh, no. And I just pulled myself up and I just walked straight through the door. And he said, have a nice day and wouldn't give me eye contact. And his voice was completely different than from the following day when he threatened me. And now it was, a, he felt scared and he wouldn't give me eye contact. And I never had a problem again. And I asked Edward, I said, what did you do, Eddie? And he said, you do, I, took Eddie? Care, I took care of it. I took care of it. <laughs> So oh, he put the fear of God in him for sure. Oh my goodness. Huh. Okay. So yeah. what did, what did that teach you? What did you learn from that experience? We have to take care of each other. We have to stand up to bullies. I needed to go to school. I needed to go back to school and I needed to take care of it. And I needed to have him confronted. Um, we also need to take care of ourselves, know what our limits are, know when we need to pull in the people that we need to protect us in our circle and know who those people are and be smart and strategic about who is the person that's going to help not escalate things, but help diffuse things and help people be safe. I think that's what I learned from that. So many valuable lessons there. I mean, really, it's okay to ask for help, you know, surround yourself with people that you know are going to have your back, 
that that are you know aligned with you in terms of how you view the world. Um, it's so interesting. So I know I'm going to fast forward a little bit because when our in our pre conversation you mentioned also that you've been an actress. So tell me about your your how did that come about and are you still acting? Ah, so um, my whole life, I was one of those kids that knew from the moment I could speak, I wanted to be an actress. And I I had my my Oscar speeches practiced and rehearsed, and I knew what I would wear to the Oscars, and this was the kind of kid I was. <laughs> yes, uh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and so as my parents were who they were, they said, you know, we're not allowing you to go into something that could that could harm you and and without you developing a good sense of self first, so they wouldn't let me go into Hollywood and have any auditions until I turned 18. Um, what they did do was support me by allowing me to do classes, have mentors, and do a lot of theater. So I went to um, I went into Shakespeare very early age and under and and loved 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 the Shakespeare plays. I. I know I'm, <laughs> I'm like a Shakespeare nerd. I still remember monologues that I learned when I was a kid. Um, there's something so amazing about that work. And then I went to a theater conservatory as soon as I got out of high school called Pacific Conservatory Performing Arts, where I was full-time immersed. It's a six days a week. You're in a repertory theater company performing at the same time you're learning and studying. I did everything from learning stage combat and how to fight with a sword to um, to knowing how to build a set and how to run a follow spot. Like they literally taught you, you need to know every single aspect. It was like being your own undercover boss and knowing everything that goes into a production. And I, of course, I continued to hone my craft as an actress. And as soon as I got out of college, I went right to Hollywood, got an agent and thought, I'm now I'm going to be a star. <laughs> oh, yeah. Gonna have it just like that. It's just like that. Now, my fingers and, are not going to be a star. Yeah, of course. Of course, it's what I've done my whole life. Of course, I'm going to be a star. I then found out that there was there was this this thing that happened to me where, where I became increasingly more and more uncomfortable with how I was judged and I was the product. Meaning I would have people say, you need to lose five pounds. Your hair is too long. Your name sounds like it's European. People don't even know that, that you don't have an accent. It's too much. You're too much. You're too much. And I played around with, I, I remember I plucked my eyebrows really, really thin and cut my hair short so I wouldn't look so European, so I'd look more girl next door. I played with changing my name. And every time these things would happen, I would feel less and less comfortable. I would feel less and less authentic. Mm. And I finally just went, you know, I don't want to be the product. I just don't want to be the product. And so I left that business. I still love acting. So to your point, I would say I still act whenever something comes up and there's a project with a friend that they want my services for something, I will step into it and I will say yes. And I use my skills, my acting skills to have that philosophy of yes and in my life. So for those that don't know what I'm talking about, yes and is a philosophy in um, improvisational theater where you're basically always leaning in and saying yes and to whatever they're giving you you're finding a way to make that work. And, and basically they're throwing the ball at you. You're, you're catching the ball and then throwing it back rather than stopping the energy. So that, you know, there's so many great lessons I learned being an actress. I'm proud of the fact that I, I tried it. I did all those things. And I feel I made a graceful exit from the business side, the parts I didn't like, but I'm, so, I'm grateful for all of it. Yeah, I really am. 
So that, that's another thing that we have in common. I used to be an actress and a dancer. So we'll have another offline conversation about that whole aspect. But I can relate to everything you just said. Um, so you did not get an Oscar, but you have had one of your candles in the Oscar swag bag. What? How did that happen? Okay, this is hilarious. This is where I say, be careful what you wish for. Make it very specific, okay? Because if you believe in manifesting, which I really do, and what is manifesting to me? It just simply means that you're focused on something. There's a goal. There's something that you then visualize it. You see it. You see it happening. You see it come to fruition. You speak it into the world. You have witnesses around you that have heard you speak it, and you're taking good action towards that thing. Okay. Yes. So I was manifesting going to the Oscars. I've been doing that my whole life, right? The thing is, I wasn't specific. Was it actually me or was it something that I created? And in the end, it was something I created. And yes, so here's what happened. I got an email out of the blue. I had just launched my candle company. It was in 2009. So it was 2010, 11, 2010. I got an email. I think it was around 2010. So I hadn't had my business long saying, I work for this person, this agency, and we set up the Oscar swag bag, and we're looking for a luxury candle for the bag. Would you be interested? And I thought, this is silly, and they're going to ask for a lot of money, and this sounds like a trick, And but I responded anyway, and it turned into this amazing relationship with someone who's become my friend to this day, and her name is Tina Ansa, and I am so, I'm such a fan of who she is as a human being. You would love her too. She, she'll be on this podcast, so I'll bet you anything after you hear more about her, but... <laughs> Um, I won't go into her now, but I will say that was a yes and moment, wasn't it? Because I got this and at first I had this, this filter of like, oh, this sounds like a scam, but I say yes and. So I'm going to lean in and I'm going to respond to the email and it turned into this beautiful thing. And she said, um, normally we, we charge people to be in the bag, but we need this candle and yours is so ideal that if you would just give the product, we would love to have you. And so that was also another sign. It was like, okay. I feel this is so good because I want my candles in the hands of these people. Ellen DeGeneres was the host that year. It was 2011. And, and what was fun about the bag that I was in, it was called Everybody Wins at the Oscars. So this bag was for, this candle went to everyone that was nominated in the top categories, but didn't win. Oh, okay. And I also love that because it's like the winners get a different bag. But all that meant that I had a much wider group had a wider of amazing, audience. Yes. amazing talent that received my candles. And from that, I got some more relationships and I ended up doing candles for other celebrities. It's And everything from that moment really grew so beautifully and organically. Like people say, well, how did you become your candles or um, the go-to VIP gift for Fox Studios? And I did all the candles for the, the casting crew of Rent. And I've done candles for their for VIP gifts for holidays. Well, it came from doing that, from answering an email that at first I thought looked like spam. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Love that story. I remember those Oscars when Ellen um, was the host that year. I remember that. And so it must have it been a good so, one. <laughs> must have been, yeah, it was a good one. Um, it must have been so affirming for you to be so new in your business and to have this validation at that level where people are saying, well, your candle is exactly what we're looking for. I mean, this is the, the go-to. I mean, how did that happen? How do they even know about you? Do you know? You know, I do. I'll tell you how. I got into, first of all, I looked at, because I come from the world of an actress, I looked at my candle. Remember I said, I don't want to be the product. 
But I looked at my candle as if it was the talent. And so the way that I would approach it is I was, I was constantly telling people about it and having conversations and putting the candle out there is like, here's something that, you know, you need to see. And I, I looked at you the it agent, like, you were the agent from the, parents, in other words. <laughs> Right. I was using those skills I'd learned as an actress, you know, selling myself to the, to selling the candle. And so one way that I did that, which I encourage everyone in your audience to do, if you haven't, if you haven't heard of this, um, this is the way that I did it is I got it out there and it's H A R O help a reporter out.com H A R O.com mm-hmm. is a way that you can answer. So what it is, is, is reporters will put out and journalists will put out requests for things they're looking to write about or to post about. And you just answer the ones, they're different categories. So there's tech and bio. So you go to one that, that looks like your category. And I answered. And one of those was um, I got on Alaska Airlines in-flight magazine by simply reaching out to one of those Harrow ads, asking for something for uh, they wanted to know, great holiday gifts. And that was in 2011. And because that circulated so much, that easily could have been where they found me. I'm not sure, but I was feeling it was because I was constantly going, okay, how can I get people to know about this? I don't have a big marketing budget. I actually think I had a zero marketing budget when I started. Um, so what are the organic and free ways that I can let people know about these candles and my mission about having clean, beautiful, eco-friendly luxury candles? And that was one of my main sources with Hera. And now here we are in 2021 and you have now launched the next iteration of your beautiful candle making empire. And what, so what, are, what is your dream? What is your goal? What, it, what is your, your pie in the sky for a candle discovery box and, and really all of what you're doing because it's all so beautifully connected. Thank you. Okay. Here's my pie in the sky excitement. Okay. I'm going to say it. And remember what I said about manifesting. So we speak it out and now you're my witnesses. So here we go. Candle discovery box. Women are discovered for their beautiful candles and their stories. It then becomes a brick and mortar where you can go into the store somewhere in your town and see on the shelves and discover and smell and touch and, and then actually have in-person events with the different women who are local to that particular brick and mortar. I also see this becoming soap discovery box, chocolate discovery box, coffee discovery box, beauty discovery box. I see this concept of the product that's made with the story connected to the maker. So you really get to know the maker. I see this as a, a huge movement helping and it could even become a franchise the the brick and mortar so that's where i see i see the there is no end to this because knowing and understanding and we're in an age where we can get anything in 24 hours off the big sites right Mm. what are we missing when we do that it might be very convenient but the connection to the maker and in my particular case i'm I'm supporting women makers. I love men. I have now my husband of over 10 years. I'm remarried is the love of my life. My son, my firstborn child is a boy. My son, I'm still very close and connected to my father. Who's an amazing example to me. So I just want to say to the men out there, I love and appreciate you. And my particular lane that I'm staying in is helping these women makers. There's something, there's something I personally understand about being a woman in transition in your life needing to do something for yourself that is just so specific to women. And that's where I feel I can really make a difference. So that's why I make it. I just want to say that out loud. Yeah. That's why it happens to be all women. But yeah, that's where I see it going. 
I, I love it. I love it. I see Shark Tank in your future when you're ready. When you're when you're ready to, you're, you're, I'm, I'm picturing you in front of the in front of the in front of the sharks. You know, giving them your your pitch when you're ready to do the brick and mortar and you're getting ready to raise some money. And you know, I just I just love everything love about your your story, your your backstory, and how you got where you Thank are, you. and how you're you're using your many gifts and talents um, to to put more light and love in the world. And that's what, what I'm all about. That's what the podcast is all about. And, um, you know, sometimes we, we delve into some really heavy, difficult topics on the show. Um, but I think it's important to be able to connect those dots between, you know, the difficult things that we're going through as a, as a human race, really, um, to understanding that what connects us is our humanity. And I love when you talked about the flickering light is something that every culture throughout the planet has and can relate to. And, and, and that it, it touches something deep inside each one of us and it touches us in a, in a different way. And I, I love that, that you have found a way to connect that to women's stories. So I just, I think you're amazing. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. I think you're amazing. And I was so excited to be invited to have a voice on this podcast. So last question, what would you like to leave our audience with today? Um, we always need a little bit of hope and inspiration. There's, there's so much, you know, negativity and chaos and all of that in the world, but there's also so much beauty and so much light. So I'm going to ask you to please offer us some, some words that, that we can take into the rest of the day. So I'll leave you with this. This is one of my, the things that I, I say a lot, and that is um, never leave a burning candle or suffering friend unattended. Mm. So on the practical side, you want to be, be aware that a flame has incredible power and it is an open flame. So you want to be aware that your candles need to have attention and cut those wicks. On a spiritual side and an emotional side, notice where people around you in your circle might feel that they need to be seen and heard and reach out to them and really give what you need. So if you're one of those people that needs to be seen and heard, if you're feeling unattended right now, the fastest way out of that is to find someone else who needs the very same thing you do and to give it. Because there's a technology in that is when we give what we need, it's amazing how quickly we are then fulfilled. So that's my such a beautiful, beautiful reminder and such a beautiful way to end our conversation. Yante Morrow, thank you so very much. And um, of course, we will link to all of your um, your candle with discover your discovery. What am I saying here? Candle Discovery Box. I'm thinking objects with purpose and Candle Discovery Box. We'll link to everything on our um, on our podcast page for this episode and uh, put everything in the show notes and just wish you the, the best as you go forward and in, in manifesting the, the beautiful dream that you just laid out before us and we're all witness to it. So um, we're going to continue to follow your journey as uh, as you as you light up the world, really. So, Iante, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Linda. And thank you all. I hope my conversation with Iante left you with a big smile on your face. It certainly did that for me. 
I hope you enjoyed the conversation and that you will take what you learned and move about your day in a positive, uplifting way for yourself and for those around you. Thank you for being a part of the Our Voices Matter podcast audience. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe, leave us a great review and spread the word. Thanks so much again, and we'll see you next time. Thanks again to our sponsor, BMW of West Houston. There's a special offer for members of the Our Voices Matter podcast community. Just click the link in the show notes, bmwwest.com.